and welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church. Two pastors, two old friends from two different denominations on two different coasts, talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. I'm Kevin Sheehan, Associate Pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And I'm Matt Curtis, Pastor of Decision Life Church in Wairika, California. Welcome to the podcast. Well, we are recording this on Monday, November 16th, and today we'd like to talk about one of my very favorite subjects, books. What have we read recently? What do we recommend? And why do we read? And so we are pumped to talk to you about books today. Big nerds alert. Facts. Straight up. Hashtag nerds. Anyway. Matt, why why are we talking about books today? Well, we wanted... Is there there a point to all this other than just our own, you know, sort of... Partly, it's just an excuse for you and I to talk about books. True. Because what true. happens every week offline is we talk about the book. <laughs> we talk about the books we're reading. But, but also, we just thought maybe we'd give some insight into the reading lives of pastors. Our whole like professional lives are centered around a book, right? Like I'm talking about the Bible, of course. And so we, we're in a bookish profession. And so we wanted to just give you some insight into the kinds of things we read that are shaping and forming us as we... Uh, seek to lead and shepherd our people. And also, we just thought we wanted to give some book recommendations that are like not technical or outside the realm of what ordinary folks might like, but what could be useful or edifying for anybody. Yeah, we'll get into more of the recommendations in the second half. And we'll mention a whole bunch of books that it's not that we don't recommend them, but you know, there are books that we have read for different purposes, uh, especially in 2020. It was just such a crazy year. Uh, you know, some of the books we read are for just theological development, spiritual formation, and some of the books we read are just trying to understand culture and society more. So there's, I would say, a wide variety of books that we read. And I wouldn't say all those are to be recommended, but we'll have some, just a handful that we would specifically recommend uh, coming up in the second half of the show. Matt, just... Yeah. How many books do you think you've read in 2020 or will read by the time we get to New Year's? 120. Big nerd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt, you certainly read far more books than I do. Maybe double. I don't know. I don't think I have a good count. It's definitely uh, something that you, you just spend a lot more time doing. It's a passion of yours. I, I, I mean, I've read a lot of articles, smaller, you know, uh, smaller form writing, I suppose, and especially things that are more timely tend to kind of show up in article form before they get into book form. Yeah. Um, and maybe this year, probably even more of those than usual. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you definitely have me beat when it comes to number of books read, especially in the fiction category. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of things that go into that one. My kids are older than yours. There's just, there's just a different sort of demand on me than, than is on you is part of that. And the other part of that is this particular year, like my family was like gone for eight weeks during all the COVID thing. They were in another state taking care of my mother-in-law. So like it was just me. And so I read a lot more. I mean, I, I average about a hundred books a year and I'd say I went, it's going to be about 120 to 125 by the time it's all said and done. Cause I just had more time. And lastly, like reading is what I do when I'm in line at the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like I've got a book out. My Anita hates it, but it's, it, 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 it's, 
it's just kind of what I do. Or if I, if I get a second, if I get a few minutes at the, I'm, I'm in the waiting room at the doctor's office. I'm not reading people magazine. I've got a novel usually. Like I just, that's what I do instead of, you know, scrolling Facebook or reading a magazine or whatever. If I get a few minutes, I read both in really big, big sips and in like really big gulps and long periods of time of sustained reading. And I can just dip in here and there. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's jump in. Shall we? Yeah. Yeah. What have we read recently? And by recently, I don't know how we define recently this year, the last six months. So I kind of broke mine down by category. Okay. You know, again, kind of as pastors, of course, we're reading books about, about the Bible as well as the Bible itself and kind of how yes, we read we the are. Bible is probably like a whole other podcast. Yes. You should read your Bibles by the way. Yes. Just yes, to yes. This. Uh, so uh, in terms of like biblical studies or hermeneutics, which is sort of the, um, you know, how to read the Bible, how to interpret it, how to apply it and so forth. I read um, a book I've been meaning to get to for a long, long time this year, and it it met and surpassed all my expectations. And the book is by Graham Goldsworthy. The book is called Gospel and Kingdom. Uh, huh. It was a phenomenal book. And I, I wound up recommending it to you, I think, and Pastor Tom here. And yeah, so I read that I bought a single volume of the Goldsworthy trilogy, where it's got Gospel and Kingdom gospel and, and wisdom and gospel and revelation right and it's fantastic it's yeah. so good three books in one volume and it's dynamite please read it yeah gospel and kingdom in particular yeah i just thought was so instructive in terms of how to read scripture how to interpret scripture yeah highly recommended book uh if yeah. you've read the book god's big picture by Von Roberts, it's sort of like a condensed version of Gospel and Kingdom. So it's a simplified version, which I also would recommend as well. Yeah, only Gospel. I would say the writing is better for Goldsworthy. Like, yeah, it, I, I think so too. Like just the word pictures, it's it's it, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that probably was written in the early '80s, I think. Yeah. And I just I just got around to it now. You know, it's so relevant though. Like it, it felt like it, it was written for this year because he's addressing all these, like it, it's really very good. Yeah, it does not feel dated at all. Uh, yeah. That, that was an excellent book that I read this year and kind of that biblical studies hermeneutics category of books. Yeah. Um, this was a year that I read a lot, kind of like culture and society. I mean, obviously 2020 presented, our, presented us with all sorts of issues to, to wrestle with and, and, and deal with. And um, some of those were, were just really new or just exploded this year. Yeah. Um, but I read a couple books. I don't, really don't remember when I read these books, but uh, a couple books by Scott Sauls, Jesus Outside the Lines and Irresistible So Faith. good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Those were just excellent. Both of them and kind of along the same lines, Ed Stetzer wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. Yeah. Which, I mean, the title sort of says it all, but all three of those books, I think were similar in tone in terms of. What was the second Scott Sauls book you mentioned? Irresistible Faith. Okay. He's got a new book out called The Gentle Answer. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Scott yeah. Sauls. Yeah. yeah. I think they're all fairly similar. I haven't read the most recent one. Yeah. They, uh, they're, I think they're a kind of trilogy. I mean, not literally a trilogy, but they're kind of, a, yeah. there's some interconnectedness. So those are just really helpful. You know, how to be kind of salt and light, how to be a middle, middle ground voice in a very polarized culture. Mm. Uh, how to be gentle in an age of outrage, as Ed Stetzer put it. Um, challenging books, good books, important books, I think. 
Another one kind of along the same tone, but more politically oriented was a book called Compassion and Conviction. Uh, Justin Gaboni and Michael Ware, I believe, were the, the two authors for that. It's written by, they've kind of formed this group called the AND Campaign. And it's basically saying, again, it's more politically oriented, but it's basically saying like, you know, we don't find our home in either political party as Christians. And so, you know, how do we sort of wrestle with the political dynamics that are at work today um, and not be beholden or manipulated by either one. I mean, I'm reading a book now by Eugene Cho, which is, which is similar, I suppose, along those same lines. So all those books I thought were just helpful for me personally to read and to, to sift through. Is, is the Eugene Cho book, Don't Be a Jerk? How to Not Be a Jerk or something, uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was good. I read that early in the year. Like I read that right before like the pandemic. Yeah. I'm probably 80% of the way through it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So those were all good, kind of more, they weren't really addressing like particular issues um, exactly, but similar in tone and trying to figure out how do we kind of thread the needle in a polarized culture. Another book I thought was really interesting. It was, it's called A Practical Guide to Culture by John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel, more of a philosophical approach to understanding our cultural moment, which, you know, I, I think it was written a couple of years ago. So it's not like it's super recent. Uh, which was helpful in a sense because it, it sort of steps back and doesn't have to address every burning issue. So, yeah. So this year I read um, the Jonathan uh, Haidt book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And just to give like a disclaimer, like he's not a follower of Jesus. He's not writing from a follower of Jesus's point of view. He has some like assumptions about evolution and the, um, origin of things that I think he just doesn't challenge, but he, he's what's called a moral psychologist. And it really, it was really interesting. He was talking about how we arrive at the morals that we have and how uh, that really colors the way we land politically and morally. And so, and, uh, and some of the reasons for the recent divisions, it was written back in 2012, um, but it was just an, excellent excellent uh way of thinking about it helped me understand people who disagree with me better and i'm always wanting to understand people who disagree with me better and so it right. it was really helpful to me in that way yeah i, and the, I really and the psychology it. behind it yeah it's yeah. more of a psychology than a than a theology approach. yeah 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 it's, it's it, in fact it, it's under psychology slash philosophy yeah so, so his, his last with... name is spelled H-A-I-D-T, just for those yeah. trying to look that up. I don't know yeah. how to pronounce it, actually, but yeah, Hade something. I don't know. Yep. No, he's, it was really good. I... Yeah, I haven't read that. It's on my, it's on my to read pile, my, my literal physical to read pile in the corner of my desk here. Yeah. But I've read a brief synopsis of, of that book. I believe, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin quotes him several times in her book, Confronting Christianity, which is which is my, also a great book, which yeah. is on my list as well to get to in just a moment. Yeah. Um, I had two other ones I wanted to mention in sort of the culture and society yeah. genre, I guess. And, you know, with this year, with just all the, the racial tension and everything, I wanted to just read more. I read a lot of articles, but I also wanted to read some like long form books um, by black authors that speak to this. And I and I'm just going to highlight two of them that were written by um, men who are reformed and African-American. 
I know one of them is actually ordained in the PCA. I think they might both be. You know, so this is like my tribe, like my denomination, but black men. So one of them is uh, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And the other is Black and Reformed by Anthony Carter. And I'll just say, like, I'm not going to agree with everything that they've said. And, so, and other things that they said are just, just, are just really challenging. And it's like, boy, I need to think about that. And so they're, they're good for me to read because they challenge me. They, they help me see things from a different perspective. And yet they're coming from a, like a reformed or even a PCA uh, theological background. So I know I can trust them in terms of that we approach scripture the same way. Yeah. But the way that they see the world because of their experiences, is just really different. And so it's, I found those to be important books for me to read and there are yeah. others, um, but those are the two that I'll, I'll highlight for now. Yeah. I, I read the Justin Tinsby book um, and, and I liked it fine. I didn't read, I didn't, I can't really speak on the other one. Yeah. On like cultural stuff. Um, I read this year, just finished actually, um, and really liked it. Uh, David French's new book, uh, Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. It's really, really good and thought-provoking. David French is a, uh, he's been a lawyer um, defending religious liberty causes, and uh, now he's uh, one of the editors of The Dispatch. So he's a journalist and attorney, and it's just really thought-provoking. It really get. I think he describes the division in our nation really well. He lays out a couple scenarios where, if things fall a certain way, um, our republic could fracture. Uh, in the second part of the book, there's almost like these fictionalized versions where these things take place that aren't implausible. It's not like weird tinfoil hat conspiracy theory stuff. It's like it's rooted. He, he spends the first part of the book setting up the conditions that for the Civil War um, that happened before and mm. some of the parallels to now. And then in the final third of the book, he just gives some suggestions for how to avoid that and i just found it both uh sobering and thought-provoking it's really good hmm. i have a book on my uh it's in my cart <laughs> my amazon cart so it's not in my physical to read pile yet but will be shortly uh it's a book by rod drear d-r-e-h-e-r drear uh -huh. Dreer, called live not by lies um rod drear if you if you follow him he's eastern orthodox capital o orthodox and if, and if I understand this book, I think I listened to an interview with him on a podcast about this book, and he interviewed just tons of people who lived as Christians uh, during the Cold War in Eastern Europe, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, and just interviewed them and, and their experience, you know, as communism either took root or maintained its hold uh, in their countries where they where they lived, and and now what they're seeing in the United States that are along those same lines. So it's sort of a sort of a warning, I guess. Part of me wants to read it, and part of me wants to like not have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Part of me wants to know, is like, okay, is this just alarmist or is this? I don't know, I don't know. But he's a pretty interesting guy, and so I'm going to read it with an open mind. But I guess with a cautiously op open mind. Yeah. Um, nice. Hey, we mentioned uh, Rebecca McLaughlin earlier. Kind of yeah. coming back to that one. She wrote a book called Confronting Christianity. I forget what the subtitle is, but it's like 12 or 12 hard, yeah, 12 12, hard the questions. 12 hardest questions facing Christianity. Like, yeah. Okay. So it was really good. I read a couple of weeks ago and I, I she's, she's a wonderful writer. Uh, she's yeah. extremely learned and kind of travels in very learned circles. All of her friends are like PhDs and things. That well, I and can't she's even a pronounce. PhD herself from yeah. Harvard. 
like she's probably in something I can't pronounce in literature, but, in but literature. she, Oh, yeah. okay. I can pronounce that. Um, yeah, but she speaks and she writes very uh, accessibly. Very, yeah. I mean, she very humbly. Um, yeah. so I thought I thought it was a wonderful book. I thought she did a wonderful job. Uh, so I would recommend confronting Christianity as as an apologetic type of book. So I got that at the conference you and I went to together. You know, a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, a year and a half ago. Okay. And I read it shortly after, and it is the best book on apolog- the best apologetics book in a generation. I would say, hmm. like I think it's that good. I think I think people are going to be reading that and referring to it for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hope she writes more. Um, I, I do too. I know she's got other demands in her life. She's a working mom. Well, her kids are small. Her kids are like your kids' age. She's British, so she's so she's a working mom. Yeah, but yeah. But I hope she writes more. Yeah. The other book I read kind of in the apologetics sphere that I'll just highlight is it's a book by Paul Copen called Is God a Moral Monster? Spoiler alert. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you don't want to know the answer and read it for yourself, just edit that part of the podcast out. And uh, you can read for yourself, but he takes yeah. a lot of the questions, especially like Old Testament. You know, like did did, did God promote genocide, and and did God, you know, uh, just all these questions about God's character, and all these things that just seem morally untenable with a good and loving God. And he, and he walks through uh, different reasons and contextual reasons why that's not the case. Um, yeah. It gets a, to be honest, it gets a little bit redundant. <laughs> After a while, he answers like every question. And after a while, you, you kind of know the answer. Um, yeah. But it was very helpful. I'd say the first two thirds of the book, especially, uh, was a yeah. very helpful way. And if you're wrestling with those sorts of questions, especially like, how can God send people to hell and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, you know, all these supposed atrocities in the, in the Old Testament, especially, then that's a, that's a good read. So this is not an apologetics read because I didn't do a lot of apologetics uh, reading this year, I think partly just because of my ministry context, but I read, and this, and this book is being talked about like a lot. Like if you're listening to other book podcast, Christian book podcasts, you'll probably hear about this one, a gentle and lowly by Dane Ortland. And it's about, you know, the heart of Jesus. It says the heart of Jesus, deep into the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers is kind of the subtitle. And it, I loved it. It's my favorite book I read this year. I can't remember the last time I was so moved and just highlighting nearly something on every page. And it just, I felt like I understood Jesus better after having read the book. And any book that can make you Hmm. understand Jesus better uh, is, I think, a book well worth your time. If you like read one of the books we mentioned today, make it this one. Um, It's that, it's that good. All right. So Matt's gold star yeah. book recommendation, Gentle and Lowly yeah. by Dane Ortland. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of the Ortlands, the Ortland family, like so Dane is the son of Ray Ortland, who's written a number of really good books. And his brother, Gavin Ortland, wrote a book that I think is incredibly timely. It's called um, Finding the Right Heel- Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage. And basically what he's saying is when it comes to theology, not everything matters an equal amount. And how do you decide what is what? He kind of borrows the term theological triage from Albert Moeller and just writes it. And what's great about it is it's concise. It's like 118 pages. 
Um, but there's a lot in it to consider. So the Ortland brothers are killing it in 2020. Um, both of those are worth the pickup. Yeah. Well, next category. Sure. Are we ready? Theology. I read several recently, and I mean recently as in like the last month. They were really good, and, and, and some of them were very short reads too mm-hmm. and pretty accessible. I'll start with one that I got to this year. Well, I should say I finished it this year. It's been a, I didn't begin it this year. It's just been one of those like yeah. long projects. Um, the Death of Death and the Death of Christ by John Owen, which is sort of like one of those classic yep. Puritan works that, that uh, took me forever to get to yeah. and through. Um, but I did, I did work my way through that. But uh, there were several that I read in the last month that were all pretty short, like 120 pages or less. Eh, maybe one was a little bit longer. But we're all really good uh, in no particular order. Uh, this is probably the oldest book of, of this group. John Murray, uh, The Imputation of Adam Sin, which it's, it's sort of an exposition of Romans 5. It talks about how, you know, Adam sinned and we all fell. And what do we, what do we mean by that? And John Murray worked through that, uh, I think, very nicely. It gets a little bit technical, but you kind of almost have to <laughs> in, a, in a discussion yeah. like that. But that was a really good book, and one that I will kind of need to go back over and, and reflect on more slowly. I read two books that were, well, the other three books I'll mention are all really recent publications. The first is The Triune God by Fred mm. Sanders. It's a book on the Trinity, of course. It's pretty technical. It was. It's pretty dense. There's a lot of words in it. I had to look up. <laughs> um, but uh, Fred Sanders was funny. He's like ultra, ultra yeah. smart people, and he was not trying to write for lay people in this book. Uh, so fair warning. Like it's a good read, yeah. but it's a difficult read. Uh, the the next book is another book on the Trinity as well, but it's much more accessible. It's called The Trinity: An Introduction or something like that. Um, it's called The Trinity by Scott Swain. He's one of my old professors. He's got a new book about that, right? Did that one just come out? Yeah, that's pretty new. Yeah. So it's, I think it's less yeah. than 100 pages. Um, and it's much more accessible. And it's just, that's just really good. I just, uh, he was just, he just did an interview with, um, on a podcast with uh, Kevin DeYoung and Colin Hansen and Justin Taylor. Yeah, I heard that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, those those books are good. I would recommend the Trinity by Scott Swain. It's a it's a great way to start digging into that topic in a pretty accessible and unintimidating yeah. way. And the last book I'll mention in the theology category is also a pretty recent book. It's by Guy Waters, who's a professor at RTS Jackson. I actually had him for Greek one semester. The book is called The Lord's Supper as Sign and Meal of mm. the New Covenant. Kind of just walks through like covenant theology and sacraments. And how those work together throughout the biblical yeah. history, and how they come to a head in the Lord's Supper. So it gives a lot more meaning to the Lord's Supper and why we celebrate it and what it entails and what it what it does for us. So again, a pretty short book, pretty pretty easy read, really. Uh, but I thought it just a very helpful one. Nice. So I just have a couple in that category. So I've been doing a lot of reading on uh, the doctrine of sanctification because I'm doing some writing on it. And we haven't talked about, you know, my writing projects on this podcast. Maybe we'll talk about that some other time. Um, But uh, that's 
something I've been writing on. And so one of my favorites, I read, I've read a whole stack of them, but one of my favorites was uh, Thomas Schreiner's book, Faith Alone, The Doctrine of Just Justification, What the Reformers Taught and Why It Still Matters. And it's just a really good, uh, he just goes through all of the biblical understanding of what justification is. His interaction with the M.T. Wright and the new perspective on Paul at the end of the book is worth the price of the book all in itself. Um, it's just excellent, and I can't recommend it highly enough. And the other book I kind of been I've been working through all year is uh, Herman Bobnick's uh, book, or really a collection of his works called uh, "The Wonderful Works of God." Um, that is just I hadn't discovered his uh, him as a writer until very recently, in which I felt like was a gap in my theological education. Um, and so I've been reading him and him, he's fast becoming one of my very favorite theologians. It's really good and would recommend it. It's very rich. It's really good. Well, hey, we should um, probably yeah. take a break. I think we're going well, we knew this, this would be going to be a long one. Uh, we'll come back. Yeah, I know. And this yeah. is us holding back. We'll come back in the second half. We'll talk about a couple other things on in the yep. fiction category, as well as what's on the to read pile. And we'll give some final sure. book recommendations. So what do people do? Well, like get coffee apparently some or? of our listeners get tea and that's great um, to our Canadian friends who are drinking tea. We had a Canadian email in. I won't, they didn't say we could use their name, so I'm not going to, but uh, thanks for writing in and you get tea and that's great. Enjoy it. Uh, we had another person write in who said that they do pour over coffee. They pause it and they'll, uh, you know, heat up a kettle and I don't even know what that is. So what that is, is you um, have, uh, a kettle and you heat up the water you take a couple of scoops of coffee and put it in a filter and in a you have like a pour over filter and you just pour it over your cup and it drains right in yeah i should have mentioned it in addition to not knowing what that is i really don't care either about coffee well i mean i but our listeners need to be educated on fi the finer points of coffee so <laughs> go get your tea I coffee suppose. or whatever it is whatever it else is or, you're doing or maybe or just cold grab beer. a good book yeah cold beer for sure yeah. And uh, enjoy yourself. And we'll be back and with more of Matt and Kevin Talk Church. And today we're talking books. Hey, we're back. It's Matt and Kevin. We're still talking church and we're still talking books. Even on the break, we were talking books because that's just that's the mood that we're in, I guess. So we spent the first half of the show kind of working through some of the books that we've read as pastors, as more kind of professional reading, I suppose. Not to say that we only read them for professional purposes, but uh, a lot of them just had to do with biblical studies, trying to figure out how we respond to culture and society as Christians, as pastors, as church leaders, apologetics, theology, so on and so forth. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about fiction that we've read. And not that this is entirely um, divorced from being Christians. I think it's important for all of us to, to read fiction for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I'm going to let Matt explain why, because Matt reads about 8,000 times more fiction than I do on an annual basis. So take it away. Yeah. Why do we, why so, do you read fiction? How is that actually, I mean, other than you enjoy it, how right. do you think it's actually helpful in terms of our personal and spiritual formation? So I would just say like as a pastor, having a deep understanding of stories and how they work will make you a better preacher. So I think reading fiction will help you. If you're a pastor out there, you're a young preacher just getting started. I would say reading fiction. Now, good fiction, not like, you know, trash, but 
but good but good fiction will give you a sense of are you, are you saying I should throw away all my Amish romance novels? Well, I mean I really have no comment. I've got people <laughs> in my church who'd be deeply offended. But anyway, um it I do think having an understanding of story and arc is is uh is good. Um, especially because it helps us understand the the biblical storyline better if we have a deep understanding of how stories work. And I think as well, like having to live inside someone else's point of view for 200 pages um, really flexes your empathy muscles and yeah. gives you and gives you some pathways and rhythms for doing that. So I think both of those are reasons uh, to read fiction. Other people have talked and written about this more eloquently than I'm going to, but, th- but those are the two reasons I would say that I think reading fiction is more than just passing the time. I think it can have deep uh, payoff and dividends for your spiritual life and your interior life. Yeah. Yeah. I, as Matt knows, and some of you out there might know, um, I have a master's degree in creative writing. Sometimes people think creative writing as if the creative part makes it necessarily fiction, uh, which isn't which isn't the case. It just means that you have a more imaginative and uh, maybe lyrical. I mean, way you of, did of write two writing. novels, to be fair, right? But, but it wasn't like you had to write fiction in order to right. to, to get through the program. Right. Um, and part of the program, of course, was reading a lot. I mean, yeah. writers had to read a lot, but it wasn't yeah. just for the sake of writing. It was for the sake of sort of developing your imagination and your creativity. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't just mean you don't just kind of take imagination, creativity, and and create fiction out of it. Uh, it's also a way of looking at how do I how do I communicate ideas in a way that isn't just sort of strictly in dry facts. Yeah, you know, like I have a philosophy degree in my undergrad days, and that kind of taught me how to think and organize facts and ideas, and 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 logically, you know, create a bullet point set of arguments. Uh, but the creative writing degree kind of helped me do so in a way that's just much more palatable and accessible. And I would say it helps people to, to latch on to different ideas yeah, in a way that touches them differently than just, you know, sort of basic objective yeah. transmission of facts. Yeah. Kevin and I both have a creative writing background. That was my undergrad focus. Um, and so, like we both, that's in our background and it's shaped who we are as pastors and readers. So full disclosure, that's just sort of how you and I are wired. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. scripture itself is full of stories. Yeah. Not just the yeah. stories that happen, but it's the stories that Jesus told. He's told stories. He's told In parables. fact, he taught that way a lot. He was not necessarily, right. he would not have like been a Mark Dever approved expositional teacher. Right. He, that's he just, told lots yeah. of parables and the Part yeah. of the purpose of that is so that people can latch on to the point and the ideas yeah. a lot more easily. I mean, look, you could have gotten straight to the point with some of those parables and said, yeah, here's the, here's the idea. Boom, 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 boom. Here's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But instead he comes up with this, this creative um, way of telling the story so that people latch on to it and they can enjoy it and, and really retain it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said for reading fiction to develop some of those uh, creative imagination. And also, I like the way you put it. It, it strengthens your empathy muscles. You yeah. have to walk in someone's shoes for a couple hundred pages. Yeah. So if you needed permission to read a novel, uh, consider it granted from Pastors Matt and Kevin. Go go read a novel. Go forth ye and read. Take up and yeah. read. Yeah. So that being said, <laughs> so, so what have you read this year? 
Okay, so again, it's kind of hard to know where to start. People always regret asking me this question, but but some of my favorites that I read this well, year. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go get something to drink. I'll be back right, in ten minutes. Right. Um, um, I I read a book called The Gentleman in Moscow, um, by uh, Amar Tolls. I'm I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it's a uh, it's about a it's set in like 1917 in moscow he writes a poem a, po- a poem that's considered politically uh dissonant and so he gets um sentenced to leave to stay in this hotel for the rest of his life or the you know socialist will or whoever it was in 1917 but the russian revolution happens and he's you know imprisoned in this fancy hotel and he's a former aristocrat and it's about his life in this motel and it goes from like 1917 until 1955 or something and it's just fascinating and beautifully written and it was one of those books that when it ended i was sad to leave the the characters in it yeah um i was just sad to leave the characters behind it's not fast paced you're not going to be like oh my gosh I i have to know what happens next because it's moving along at this very slow you're getting to know all the people and the people are really the point of the book and so it's but it's beautiful and i recommend it um, do you have a fiction book you want to mention before I? No, just keep going. All right. I'm still doing the pour over. I'm still making my over pour, right. pour over coffee or whatever it's right. called over here. Like you have the equipment for that. Anyway, um, Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. He's a Swedish author. Um, you probably know him if you know him at all from the book A Man Called Ove, um, which is awesome and hilarious also. But uh, Anxious People is about a um, person who... Um, robs attempts to rob a bank and it turns out it's a cashless bank and he bolts across the street and ends up like they end up mistakenly uh, taking hostages and so it's again it's a book about empathy and it's the book that I both laughed just out loud like a gut laughed and there were moments where I choked up and it might be my favorite fiction book I read this year I just really enjoyed it. Sounds like a um, Coen Brothers movie. It was only not as gross. You know what I mean? Or as crass. Um, but it's it's just hilarious. More like a Raisin and, Arizona sort of tone. Right. It's weird. Like, it's super weird. And all the people in it are weird. But also, there are these very human moments where you recognize yourself or people you know. And it's um, it's great. Read it. Read it. Also... I read this year Jack by Madeline Robinson. It's the fourth in her Gilead series. Gilead, the first book, won the Pulitzer Prize when she wrote it back in, I don't know, 2001 or 2005 or something like that. And that's maybe in the top three of my favorite novels of all time. It is not the best book in the series, um, but Madeline Robinson on her her not as good is still better than most of the stuff that's published in a given year. Um, So it's beautiful. Um, She... Uh, she claims to be a Calvinist. That's how she self-identifies. Whether or not whether or not she really is, I think, is a whole separate question. Because if you read some of her essays, you go, "Wait, but um, that, that's a separate." I mean, we could I, we we could do a whole podcast on her writing because right. it's brilliant. But Jack yeah, Gilead about, Gilead was phenomenal. Yeah, did she write housekeeping? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's a phenomenal writer and thinker. Yeah. And I don't know if you've read any of the other um, Gilead series, Kevin, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, I don't think I have. I remember reading Gilead and Housekeeping. I don't think I've so Gilead, got past that. 
uh, the the book after that is home and it's kind of the it's kind of the events oh i think i did read that one yeah it's the events of gilead only it's uh from the other pastor's point of view in town yeah yeah like in his family and then uh lila is the third one which is how the protagonist of gilead meets this wife meets his wife that he marries in old age and it's about her and her story and the last book jack is about the prodigal son of the of uh john ames's pastor best friend his friend john ames or bounton the guy the other the presbyterian pastor his son who kind of mentioned in passing in home as kind of being estranged it's about him and his journey of how did he become a prodigal and how is he going to find his way back? Yeah. And there's this, and really the central tension of the book is, is it's 1930s St. Louis and he falls in love with a black woman. Okay. And so that's kind of the central tension of Jack. I, I like, I like it when there's multiple novels that all center around kind of like the same place, but just from different vantage points. Yeah. And it's, this that's and, what Wendell Berry does, you know. Well, she's very Wendell Berry esque, yeah. Um, in that way, this particular book is not set in the town of Gilead. It's mostly St. Louis, but it's but the imprint of place in Gilead is all over it. And so it's again, Madeline Robinson on her worst day is better than most of what you're going to read on a given on, in a given year. Yeah. So I would say give her a whirl if you're going to read that series. Start with Gilead. And then after that, the order doesn't matter, I think. But okay. start with Gilead is what I would say. And then um, next, I've got uh, years ago, um, a guy named Anthony Foyer wrote a book called All the Light We Cannot See. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2012. And I finally got around to it this year. It's like been on my shelf for forever. And I've heard people rave about it and just never got around to it. And it's about um, this blind girl who um her father is taken by the nazis and she has to figure out how she's going to survive living nearby her is a young man who is caught up in the hitler youth and they're like their craw their paths cross and it's just a beautiful um take on the central struggle of that world war ii era and it's just beautifully written the characters are rich it's again one of those stories where you close the book and you're going to, you know, you're going to think about those characters for a long, long time. And so it was really, really good. And then finally, well, two more. I said, see, that's typical me. Finally, (laughs) I take after Paul. You ever notice Paul does that in his letters (laughs) finally. And then he goes on for like, yeah. So I was, I was worried about this podcast because it's like my to read and my shopping cart and Amazon. It's just going to get really long all over again. I knew this would happen. You're welcome. Uh, so I, uh, I, this is one I listened to. Now there's a debate about whether or not listening to a book counts as reading. I think it does, but that's just my opinion. I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but that's my opinion. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different medium. It is a different medium, but in this book, I think would be fine in any medium. Uh, Ann Patchett, she's a wonderful writer. You probably know her from Bel Canto. Uh, which she wrote years ago. They made a film of it, and that's a great book. But this book is called Dutch House, and it's about this um, family who they buy this weird house and what and it, what happens to the people in it. And I listened to an audiobook read by the incomparable Tom Hank- Hanks, and it was just a wonderful experience to listen to him read this book. And it was uh, 
It's really great. It's about, in many ways, it's about the fifties. Um, but, uh, but about more than that as well. It's about families and what happens in families and how do we cope and get past the things that happen to us. Um, and so it's, um, it was really delightful to hear Tom Hanks read that. And then finally, so full disclosure, um, I am not a fan of Christian fiction in general because I think on or Christian movies for that matter, or even Christian music oftentimes is subpar to its um, secular counterparts because we get focused on message instead of story. Um, maybe that's another topic for another day, or we can have somebody yeah. on to talk about that. Um, but I read, I just finished Jared Wilson's new novel, Echo Island. And it's a, uh, I can't talk too much about the plot because it would give too much away. Um, but it, it's about um, these four high school seniors who they're celebrating their high school graduation. And so they go camping. And so Kevin's already interested because it has camping in it. And they, they come back that, so that they live on this Island on the Puget sound in Washington, which was interesting to me because I used to live in that area. So they take their ferry back to their Island and everyone's gone everyone's gone none of the electronics work and so it's about them trying to figure out what happened and why um and there's these there's twists in it and uh it's and it's not preachy or um it's not trying to get the christian gospel shoved down your throat in a way that's cliche it's smart and clever and i didn't see the twist coming which as much as i read doesn't happen to me i mean very often and so jared wilson's echo island the best Christian piece of Christian fiction I've read in many, many years. So th those are the best, those are the best things I've read of fiction. I've read a lot of fiction this year, but those are the best ones. Do you have any fiction you cool. read this year? Cool. I don't, I didn't read, I don't know if I read any fiction that was written in the 21st century this year. That's okay. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what do you is, got? Which is my own fault. I'll just mention a few things. Um, like I said, I just don't read nearly as much fiction as I used to. And, and I've never read as much fiction as you do. Part of that is we just have some different interests. But anyway, a couple of things that I, I, that I went back to this year, some old favorites. Hmm. And I'm, it probably says something about just where I was emotionally and everything else. that I just wanted to go back to some old favorites. So I remember spending a couple of Sunday afternoons reading some old Jack London books. Nice. He, he was kind of like the first like grown-up author that I read when I was a kid. You know what yeah. I mean? You kind of graduate out of like your young adult stuff and whatever. Yeah. One of the first adult authors I read. So I think I read um, Call of the Wild and The Sea Wolf. Both great. Sea Wolf was actually, it's it's not as well known as um, Call of the Wild or White Fang, but I, I like The Sea Wolf better, I think. Uh, mm. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. It's actually kind of, <laughs> you talk about writing projects someday that that would tie into one of mine. Yeah. Uh, and I also read, you know, it's one of these things where it's like you come across these books at like an old used bookstore or a book fair or something. And it's like, oh, I've heard of this. I've heard it's good. Or it's a classic. I should probably just buy it. It's for like 25 cents or whatever. So I bought like this trilogy of Dr. O books, E.L. Dr. O books. He's so good. That I've probably had on my shelf for like 10 years. So I finally got around to reading one of those. Which one? Uh, uh, I read Billy Bathgate. Great. Also, check out Ragtime. I have that in a paperback. Yeah. Which yeah. I usually save paperbacks for when I'm traveling. Yeah. Just because they're easier to travel with. And this was like a yeah. big hardcover trilogy. So he's a 20th century guy. Like he's, you know, maybe not 21st century, but he's. Well, right. Yeah. Those are, those are both 20th century authors. Yeah. 
but yeah, so it's nice to go back to some old favorites for for me. But yeah. I'll make this my pledge and I'll put it on air just so I have some accountability to read something from the 21st century in 2021. We'll see All if right. I can pull it off. All right. <laughs> so what's on your reading pile? Like not everything, but what's on your to read pile right now? Okay. So you recommended if you, you mentioned this earlier, that compassion and conviction book that's in my TBR and it's getting, it's getting towards the top of it. Um, okay. So I'm going to be reading that soon. Um, I've got, gosh, there's a lot. JT English has a new book out called deep discipleship. Um, sub, subtitled how the church can make whole disciples of Jesus. Cause I've just been thinking a lot about, how to shape and form my people beyond the Sunday morning hour. And so I'm excited to dig into that. And then finally I've got, um, and this is more just has to do with my context, a big gospel in small places, why ministry and for forgotten communities matters by Stephen Whitmer. Cause so I preach and teach in a small town. And so that's just sort of some yeah. reading for me to think deeply about that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess on my pile is a few, well, I'm, I just started a book. I'm just getting into it. Uh, so far, I really like it. I usually have a couple books going at once. Me too. Misreading scripture with Western eyes. I think Rob Edenfield might have mentioned this to us on when we Actually, had him on the I, podcast. I think I mentioned it on that or did, podcast. Or did you mention yeah. it? I remember, yeah, it's, I remember it's, it was a podcast with Rob. I couldn't remember yeah, who actually. Yeah, it's so good. Rob. Yeah, so, so far, okay, I'm just getting into it, but so far, very, very interesting. Um, it's not only about reading scripture, but also kind of, kind of falls into more of like the cultural side of things too, yeah. understanding uh, sort of a mix between culture and biblical studies. At least is what I understand so far. It's excellent and should be like, take your elders through it for real. Anyway. Yeah. So, so far so good. Um, next up, I don't really have an order exactly. Um, but a couple other books pretty much on the top of the pile. One's called the J curve by Paul Miller, dying and rising with Jesus in everyday life. Uh, it's hmm. a pretty recent uh, publication, I believe. I don't know and, that book. And then another yeah. one, which I've heard is good and an important book to read, is called Whose Justice, Which Rationality by Alastair McIntyre. It's written in the late 80s, I believe, hmm. you know, with all the talk on like justice issues this year. In some ways, from what I understand, this was a sort of a classic that was written 30 plus years ago. Uh, you know, without all the political sort of tension kind of woven into it. So that's yeah. going to be on my on my to-do list here pretty soon. And then uh, I have Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. I think that was recommended to me, I believe, by a guy named Mark Draper, who who uh, is, is a friend. And he, he, um, he was a professor at a local seminary here. He's like just a really brilliant church historian. Um, I believe he's someone that recommended that. And then on my in my Amazon cart right now, which just grew a bunch in the almost <laughs> which has grown a lot in the last couple of hours, is is a book called Covenant Theology: Biblical Theological Historical Perspectives, and it's a really recent publication. Yeah, I think so that's very, the new one, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like brand new. It's edited by Guy Waters and others. It it sounds like it's a bunch of RTS professors. Um, who all contributed to this? I mean, it's an expensive book. Uh, it's like sixty bucks. So I, so I, I'm assuming it's like, yeah. I think it's, I think it's very large, very long. Um, but all the names that are involved in it are either people that I know, you know, a lot of RTS guys, 
and it just looks phenomenal. Like I'm really looking forward to getting that and digging into that. It might be one of those things where you kind of read it over a long duration of time. Yeah. You know, read a chapter at a time. Like that's the Bobnik for me. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of read a chapter, then move on to something else, come back, read another chapter. Um, so that'll probably be one of those sorts of books uh, for me. So that's on my my immediate to read pile. I have the book you mentioned, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt in there as well. So good. I can't wait. I can't wait for you to read that so we can yeah. discuss it. <laughs> yeah. A number of others, yeah. um, some of which have been in the to read pile for a year and a half. Uh, yeah. And just when I get closer to them, I just go and buy like 10 more books. Yeah. Oh, and that's mostly your fault. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. top recommendations, just give like your top, top recommendations. We've probably mentioned, I don't know how many books, 80 million. A lot. So just give your top recommendations for the lay person who just wants to understand something about the Bible or the world from a Christian vantage point. Okay. So if you want to understand the world, I, I don't know if this is from a Christian vantage point or not, but I read this book in seminary and, I just, and it's one I come back to over and over again. Uh, Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. Oh, yeah. That it's was like, like 84 or something. And the thing is, how much he gets exactly right is like astounding. Yeah. I mean, he's talking about television, but the <laughs> right. it it applies exponentially more to yeah. social media. Like it's I know. He's like, hey, there's this new thing called cable. Like beware. <laughs> like he it's so again, but it's not dated. Like it doesn't feel dated. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it's amazing. one that's one I go back to over and over and over again. And as far as bang for your buck, it's 120 pages and is, but is super deep and good. So I would um, recommend that highly, highly, highly. Also, I would just uh, recommend um, just from a fiction standpoint, um, John Irving's a prayer for Owen Meany, our mutual friend, uh, Nate George turned me on to John Irving about 20 years ago. I guess maybe closer to 20. I don't know. Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. A long time ago. Um, and he, he bought me that book as sort of a parting gift because uh, he'd stayed at my house. And it's just one of my very favorite novels ever. It's arguably the most powerful work of fiction on faith that I've read. And I'm not sure John Irving's a Christian. I don't think he identifies as I'm one, but he's pretty sure he's not, but that but, is a great novel, but he understands deeply um, faith and doubt. And so, um, it will help you wrestle with those things. And just from a, like how to understand, uh, the Bible, um, I would just pick up a copy of Gordon and fees, how to read the Bible for all it's worth. That'll just give you some good Bible study methods, tips on how to read and engage with your Bible. Yeah. All good ones. Uh, I'll, I'll give three out of the books that I've read this past year. And I've mentioned these already. But I'll just mention them now. Gospel and Kingdom, Graham Goldsworthy, as far as how to understand your Bible, interpret it, yep. and apply it correctly. Gospel and Kingdom uh, is a fantastic book. The Rebecca McLaughlin book, Confronting Christianity. Um, yeah. These are all big questions, hard questions, that if you're a Christian and you're at all in the world and try not to become of the world, excellent starting place um, to read and wrestle with these hard questions in a very accessible way. Um, very, it's a very easy read in the sense of she's just, she's got a, an easy voice to listen to as it were. I mean, I know you're reading it and not hearing it, but 
And then lastly, yeah. in the kind of the theology realm, I'll just go back to Scott Swain's The Trinity, an introduction. Yeah. It's a topic yeah. that is, is, um, is very ignored. I think we try to not to really think too much about the Trinity. Um, um, it's, it's a difficult subject. It's very abstract. I right. think we're afraid that if we'll say the wrong thing, I'll suddenly become a heretic really quickly. Right. Uh, but it's just a, it's a pretty simple, straightforward way of just giving us some language of how to talk about the Trinity. And it's all just taken from scripture. He's just trying to, here's what, here's how the Bible uses, here's the language the Bible uses to talk about the Trinity. Yeah. Um, so those would be my, my big three that I recommend okay, can books I add that one? I've already read. Nope. Sorry. Time's up. So, uh, on the Trinity, Michael Reeves' little book, Delighting in the Trinity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read that this year, too. That was good. Is excellent. Again, 120-ish pages, super deep insight. And it, it, in many ways, for me, it helped make like emotional sense of the Trinity, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it was really good. I recommend it. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Well, have we exhausted the topic of books? Well, no, but we should stop because, (laughs) like, yeah. Yeah, we should stop. All right. Well, you've been listening to Matt and Kevin Talk Church. We've been talking church and books. Matt and Kevin Talk Books. We hope that what you've heard, it's been helpful in some way. Hopefully, it gives you some direction in terms of your Christmas wish list and (laughs) that Amazon gift card coming your way. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer, topics you'd like us to discuss, books that you want to recommend, you can always email us at mattandkevintalkchurch at gmail.com or tell us what you like to drink while you listen to the podcast. Or you can always follow us on Twitter at MKTC and we'll be listing some more of our book recommendations there uh, on Twitter just as we go throughout the next several days. So that being said, I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. And we've been talking church and books that we've been reading. Be warm and be fed.